Welcome, welcome everyone to Marlin's Corner. Uh, it is hot, y'all. I'm out here in California. It is heating up. It used to be so much colder than it is now, but hey, uh, I guess the heat is here in uh, late July, early August. For today, we're going to be just going over one movie. It's been a little chaotic over here in the world of Marlin outside of the corner, but we have an awesome movie to talk about today. We're going to talk about Blood Red Sky. Uh, it's the new Netflix vampire flick. Netflix is definitely doing a lot of work. They have about, uh, I think they're trying to release a bunch of original content movies throughout the summer. Again, we talked about this last time. They're doing the shoot and pray method of if we put it out there, maybe they'll like it. And this is definitely one that jumped to their top 10 list on the site. Uh, the storyline of Blood Red Sky is a woman with a mysterious illness is forced into action when a group of terrorists attempt to hijack a transatlantic overnight flight. Now, this movie, out the gate, I think... Uh, what they should have done is not revealed to you that this woman is a vampire. So, of course, we'll have more spoilers. Um, but you definitely get the sense that there's something going on. You get, um, they set you up to believe this woman potentially may have leukemia. Um, she's constantly in a scarf. Um, she has a lot of medication. Um, but there are also moments in the film that more or less let you know, okay, this is probably some vampirism things, uh, specifically uh, around just the use of her son. Elias uh, is the son, and Nadia is the mom, and Nadia, of course, uh, happens to be this interesting vampiric creature, uh, and not, you know, this isn't, this, this isn't Twilight, or your, or your underworld vampires. These are real, just uh, Nosferatu-type vampires. They just look real, real vicious, real gnarly, and just apex predators. They don't want to look too uh, sensual to viewers, so they're very much uh, feral-looking. Um, but Nadja and Elias are attempting to go uh, over to America because Nadja believes that she potentially could have a cure for her, her illness over there. But of course, she has to fly from where she is in um, Germany over to America. And in the process, their flight gets hijacked by none other than CW star Dominic Purcell, a.k.a. he's, I believe he's um, on The Flash and Legends of Tomorrow as Heat Wave. Uh, he's in this film as one of the hijackers. And it's unfortunate that the play they chose to hijack happened to have a vampire on it, which, again, I think this is an, it was an amazing recipe of just sheer chaos because on the one hand, you see this woman who's trying to battle her vampirism, and on the other hand, her son and her her son is in danger, and so she has to fight within herself of like, do I do something about this? I have super strength, I can easily kill people, but by stepping down that road, it could spiral her further into being this feral creature. I think what this movie does a great job of is showing you uh, just how she began. Her husband was uh, murdered by one of these creatures and she herself ended up getting bit by one of these uh, vampires in the woods one day when they got, you know, lost on the side of the road or their car broke down and the husband tried to go out and find some help. She went after him and unfortunately ended up getting infected. And she, as a sole survivor, is trying to raise her son, Elias, while also battling uh, her hunger, her thirst. And over time, you see her become more and more sensitive to light. So this young man, Elias, becomes a uh, be becomes her her crush pretty much when they 
are trying to get this flight to America. He goes to the airport by himself with her luggage and purchases the tickets. And she has to wait until it's dark for her to go and see him. And he becomes kind of like her lifeline on the outside. But of course, she is his mother and wants to protect him. So when things go wild on this transatlantic flight, uh, she makes the decision. That decision is to protect her son uh, no matter what. And unfortunately, that puts her uh, right in the danger zone. On this flight, we have a crazy crew of hijackers who are trying to uh, just get a ransom and go from point A to point B and blame it on some Middle Eastern passengers that they happen to trick into joining them on this on this trip. Uh, but of course, they are also realizing that, oh, snap, there is a creature on this plane. And it starts very subtle. You know, Naja kills one of them uh, in the undercarriage of the plane and attempt to, like, you know, get back to her son. But then once they start to realize something is going on, you then have this other uh, plot where now the entire plane is you know, trying to go from being thankful that, yes, there's someone looking out for them, but also feeling afraid that there is this wild vampire running loose on this plane that is straight up massacring uh, these terrorists who were on this plane trying to take them down. And it, it looks wild to watch uh, this group of passengers go from being elated that, oh, these terrorists are starting to disappear and die, but also be like, oh, they're being murdered by a vicious creature. And this is absolutely terrifying. And then, of course, what ends up happening is you, of course, you know, we we know that in most lore, vampirism is contagious, and we see that she bites one of the, the, the terrorists, Dominic Purcell, and she has to kill him before he can fully transform. One of the terrorists happens to see this, and his whole thing is now like, I need to get... I need to get some of that power from her. So eventually they figure out how to kind of corral her. You know, they they find a, a UV light, which is their uh, substitute for sunlight, and they overpower her and get some of her blood. Uh, and one of the, the terrorists, um, Alexander Shear, play his, his character's name is Eight Ball, and Eight Ball is quite frankly the craziest one of the, of the bunch. He injects himself with this woman's blood, which, of course, ew, first off, it was disgusting. It was great. Uh, but he injects the blood into himself and he becomes a vampire. And then you pretty much watch him infect the entire plane. And <laughs> Nadja is losing her mind trying to protect her son and get this plane to safely land. Uh, at a certain point, she has to go 100%. You know, she can no longer hold back. So she begins to ingest more and more human blood. And in the midst, she, you know, begins to realize she's, that she's losing her humanity and pushes her son away uh, into the arms of someone they met on the plane, um, this man named Farid, who is this uh, very nice uh, individual who happens to be on the plane. Nadia puts uh, the son in his in, in his hand because he's because she's like, I can't do it. Like, I have to take on these men and I need you to protect my son from me. So Elias and Farid uh, hide away on this plane and are trying to land it on a plane full of vampires. Uh, so if you thought Snakes in a Plane was an interesting premise, what about vampires on a plane? Uh, they're just full of these vampires, and they, of course, had to land on a military base. And I think the best part of the movie is them trying to convince the military base, like, hey, 
you can't go inside. There's like things in there. And what's worse is, of course, um, Farid is Middle Eastern. So a lot of them believe he must be a terrorist and that they're a survivor and he's holding them hostage. But he's like, yo, like a, you, you just can't go on there. Like you, you, you can't get on that plane. And then they unfortunately find out that, you know, Farid and Elias want to blow up the plane because there are vampires on it. And Nadja's last words before she succumbed to her vampirism was this plane cannot land and these creatures cannot escape because once they're out, it just it's it's going to be uh, a full pandemic, some might say, of this infection spreading out far and wide. And so the last part of this movie is them trying to convey that message to this military group. And of course, they get on the plane and all hell breaks loose because these vampires are now massacring this huge whale of soldiers. And as they're just about to hop out, you see that one of the vampires that gets loose is Nadia. Uh, you know, she's fully 100% a vampire, lost all of humanity. Uh, but thankfully, of course, they do blow up the plane uh, and all the vampires vampires are gone. Uh, and I got to tell you, this film, top to bottom, was fascinating. I loved how they dealt with just all these different issues in terms of pushing back the feral nature of being a vampire, uh, but more importantly, having your a child that you love supersede that, that, for, that for, ferociousness. You can see there are several scenes where Nadja as a character is fully fighting back uh, hunger and then in the same scene, as she fights back that hunger, she's fighting back uh, the shame. And then she gets angry at her shame. Then she goes back to being hungry again. And there's a full scene where she's trying to, like, push her son away, but also grab him, but push him away. And she just is fully conflicted in her emotions on how to interact with her son. And at that point, she just cuts him off and just says, you can't be around me. She's fully gone overboard with, with her hunger. And if you haven't checked it out, please check it out. It is about two hours long. It's well worth it. Um, they, of course, do that thing where they, of course, jump back in time and they do a lot of flashbacks, which, you know, aren't always done great. This was done okay. But I definitely think uh, just getting all that lore on um, what she's using to stifle her hunger and just how important her son is to her in terms of her being just being uh just pretty much putting up with this uh, this whole thing instead of, you know, dropping him off in an orphanage. She fully believes that she can control him, that she can cure herself. And it's just all the more disappointing when at the end of the movie, she can't, you know, and she has to uh, make a, a, a difficult choice for herself and ultimately uh, succumb to the beast within. So that's Blood Red Sky. Definitely check it out on Netflix. Um, and lastly, folks, I'm just going to end with just... Um, a whole uh, just check-in about education right now. We are uh, weeks away from multiple schools opening up, and uh, it is, for lack of a better word, terrifying. Um, I know that there's been a big push for schools to open back up because if schools are closed and kids are home and parents want to work from home and, you know, capitalism, they want everyone back at work. And a big piece of that is for students to be in school. Um, and what I'm really concerned with is it's just been a very, uh, very clear lack of direction on what safety looks like. I know for my school in particular, a lot of us uh, administrators are trying to figure out how are we going to uh, accomplish accomplish safely caring for over 500 kids during 
this pandemic and with this new Delta variant popping up, and it's been a huge uh, talking point. You know, we're, there are a lot of parents who are concerned. And as of now, you know, most schools are no longer going to be getting funding to do online learning in the capacity that they used to have. And so now we're kind of, uh, you know, fighting against the current. We we understand and realize the dangers of COVID, but at the same time, we're being told that schools have to open up 100% in person. And the underlying understanding from a lot of these folks that run districts and run these um, big companies, I'm sorry, uh, they are fully aware that schools are going to be shutting down periodically due to COVID exposure. They're aware of it, and it's just going to be a part of our new normal, apparently, where, hey, you might have to, you might have to shut your school down, and that's going to suck, but it's going to happen, and then you go open it back up again. And it's just, it's the... It's the full embracing and acceptance of that inconsistency that I think is the big worry for a lot of educators. It's, you know, we have to stop. We pretty much had to put education on pause for that first half of that quarantine before schools got, you know, the funding to open back up virtually to, you know, accomplished educating kids. If we shut down now, like, are we going to be able to get that same funding uh, to educate these children if they are being sent home because there was a, a, a COVID exposure. And it's it's a real scary time for folks who might have pre-existing medical conditions. And we're seriously hoping that things go well. We're crossing our fingers. We're trying to do as much as we can to keep, keep services clean, keep students uh, safe. But again, if you've ever been in a high school hallway, there isn't a lot of space in those, in those hallways. And everyone's very close. And, you know, with... I think there definitely was a certain point where people were very much aware uh, and, um, you know, connected to how scary times were. And currently, right now, um, I think all that concerns out the window. You know, people believe that COVID is over. COVID is done. And now we're going to have students who believe that that are just not going to understand why they have to be spaced out, why they have to wear a mask. And we're also getting, you know, not a lot of messaging on how we're going to be uh, screening all these kids. Uh, back tracing is going to be a lot. If one kid is in five or six classes and they're in everyone's class and they have an exposure, that means every single student is exposed. And uh, it's 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 a nightmare scenario. So again, if you have a educator friend, definitely buy them a drink, uh, help them enjoy these last few days of their summer break. Because once we start, it's just going to be a lot of grinding. Uh, in terms of setting students up for success. And by that, I don't mean academics. I mean just social emotionally, setting students up to feel safe in person, to feel safe being seen. Um, I'm sure we've seen all the memes of all these classes having just blank screens. Well, now everyone can see them. So we got to make sure our students are feeling safe. But definitely give all your educator friends some love because we are going to be doing a lot from now until June. And I, you know, I can't see the future. I can't tell what's going to happen. But I do know that they are prepared to shut schools down periodically for COVID exposures. But at the end of the day, they're going to open them back up again. And it's, you know, it's very, it's very tied to the economy. They want people to go back to work. And they and a big part of that is these kids have to be in school. So they're willing to put kids through through being exposed in order to do that. And it's really hard to deal with, to have parents have questions about that and to have your answer be, I understand where you're coming from. I understand your concern, but 
your kids got to be in school. And that's what we're being told by the government. And I really wish that we had more flexibility in what's being available this year. Um, but hey, we got to stick together. We got to stay strong. Give all your educators some love, some support. And um, yeah, it's been a tiring week going through all these meetings and all these uh, different briefings on what I can and can't do. And I'm just very concerned for my young men, women, uh, theys and thems. So um, that's in Marlon's Corner. Uh, on a very uh, sobering moment. Uh, but feel free to uh, check out more Netflix horror. Uh, there's, there's been a lot of Netflix horror movies coming. I'm going to watch uh, the classic horror film next just to give some life into me from feeling numb to all the things that are going on in education. Uh, but thank you for tuning in and listening. And we'll see you right back here in the corner next time on Marlon's Corner. Bye. This episode of Marlin's Corner was produced in Richmond, California. 